Well, I tell you, there are lots of embarrassing moments at weddings, but I don't think it's ever gone that far. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but, you know, you, you watch America's Funniest Videos, and it feels like half of them are weddings and things when things are going wrong. Uh, I remember Eric Winter, who's actually, you know, my, been my best friend for years. He's on staff here at K2 overseeing our operations and outreach. Uh, I was the best man in his wedding, and when it came time uh, for the ring, uh, the little ring bearer was standing there, and I went to grab the pillow, and I, and I pulled the string, and I found out later that the maid of honor had actually tied it in a double knot so it wouldn't fall off the pillow. So every pull I did, it just got tighter. And then I'm like, Ugh! and it got tight. I mean, I'm like, Ugh! I'm trying to rip the ring off the pillow. And then, you know what it's like, you guys have been in weddings, right? You're standing up there, everybody's watching you, you know, sweat stripping down and you're yanking on this thing. Finally, the pastor actually had a knife. And he hands me a knife and I saw the ring off the pillow, you know, and give it to him. I mean, stuff like this happens all the time. And, um, and I know too that uh, when we get into weddings, and I've never had anything like this happen before. But I will say, one of the most, maybe the right way would be disturbing things that happened for me, is when uh, I was standing there doing the vows, and, um, and the girl, actually, the whole time she was repeating the vows was looking at me. And I know I look good in a suit, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, I just sat there and I thought, he's right there. <laughs> he's right there. And to know in that moment, that when, when the couple is not totally engaged, even on their wedding day, you know, there might be some issues down the road. And I actually had a couple one time who did have vows similar. You know, I've learned now to, to have them hand them in first and, uh, and go through them. Because sometimes uh, I had a couple who put in vows, and they were all things like, not like that, but where they were saying, I love this about you, and I like this, and I like that. And I just go, do you know what a vow is? Um, see, because when you stand before someone, you say, man, this is what I like about you. Do you realize, like, maybe tomorrow you're not going to like that, <laughs> or next week or a year? The very thing that you stood before someone and said, this is what I like about you, stuff changes later. And when you stand before someone, before God, and before your witnesses, and you make these vows, the vows you're making are you're saying, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> not this is who you are, but this is my commitment that I'm making to you, a solemn promise before God, and before these witnesses. And I know, you guys, there's not one couple that ever stands, and I, I say this almost at every wedding, there's not one couple I know that's not standing in front of me on that day that doesn't hope that that thing's going to last forever. I mean, yeah, there are some people who do the prenuptial things, you know, and I, I, just, I, do, I don't know if you have, I'm sorry, but I just don't get that. Hey, just in case this doesn't work, you know, I mean, if, if that's already in your thought process, that's a problem. I mean, this is a commitment. This is a, an undying till death do us part type of deal. And you know what, though? You're not the only person standing there. You weren't the only other person, if you're married today, who stood there with hope. Because God stands at every wedding with hope. And God stands at every wedding with the love that never fails. And with the love, right, that endures forever. And so when we look at this whole idea of having a high life, and, and, the, and as we've been talking about, and the idea that can marriage, can you have a high-performance marriage? Uh, we've got to take a good look at this passage today that we're going to look at. Before I do, I just want to say a few things. I know as well that for many of us sitting in here today, probably the majority, this actually is going to be a harder message to listen to than a pleasant one. You know, I, just a few nights ago, Susan and I were sitting out late at night. You know, the weather was great, and I'm just, I'm totally enjoying the evening. 
And all of a sudden she looks at me and she says, hey, are we doing okay? And you know you're in trouble when you think you are, <laughs> you know? Like you're sitting there and you go, dude, I thought we were doing great. And uh, you know something's not good when they're asking that question. And I know for all of us in this room, for those of us who are married, if 50% of the marriages will end in divorce, then the truth is more than 50% of them are probably struggling. And so that's why today, for many of you sitting in this room today, the stuff I'm going to share with you might actually be a little bit harder to hear <laughs> instead of pleasant to hear. In fact, uh, there's a good friend of mine who does marriage conferences all the room, you know, and he just says the, one of the best things about when you speak on marriage from up front is you look out and you see a lot of this. <clears throat> Right? <laughs> and, you know, just so go ahead and sharpen your elbows, you know, and get ready to, to, to give the jabs as we hit some topics um, that are sensitive probably to you today. But I also know um, that there's a lot of you in here who are single. And, and every time we get ready to do a message on marriage or a series on marriage or anything of that nature, that, that, that issue comes up. Hey, I just, I just need to tell you, if you've never been married, I mean, I did wait 34 years <laughs> until I found Sue's. And I, and, and I was like on staff at a church, so I had to listen to these messages all the time. And I just want to encourage you, if you're single and you're not married today, that what we're going to talk about today, man, don't just throw this off as something you don't need to hear. Take this stuff and get it down. Because, man, I had so much more resource before I ever said, yeah, I do. And that was a really positive thing. And then I know that there are some of you in here who are single, but you're divorced. And, and I just want to let you know we've been praying for you because when we do talk about marriage and we talk about the issues that need to take place to make a marriage work, um, for those of you who have to sit here and know that, man, I was one of those who stood there with hope. I was one of those who stood there believing, and it didn't work. And please, just know that the grace of God is yours today. And he, I believe he wants to comfort you and encourage you today, and, and we're praying for you. And I'm hoping that because there's a future, there's always a hope and a future with Jesus Christ. And so if you're really struggling today in your marriage, I'm really glad you're here. If you're doing okay, I'm really glad you're here. And even if you're doing great, this is stuff we can put in our pocket to help us as we move forward, all right? So I would really like to pray uh, before we go, even though I did before because, you know, that was a fake thing. And so I, the prayer was fake too. It didn't work either. So <laughs> let's, um, let's go ahead and, and let's just, let's say, uh, uh, let's come to God. And before, as I pray, I want to ask you, you know your situation and you know your heart. Would you take these couple, this minute as I pray and would you pull, open your heart to God and say, man, Lord, if you could come and pour your love into my heart today. If you could reveal what I need to know for my marriage to be a high-performance marriage, I'm open to it. So you personally ask him to speak to you today, okay? I know he knew you'd be here, and I know he knows and cares about your marriage. So let's pray. Father, that's all true, and we, and we, we just thank you for that, that every person in this room matters to you, and that every marriage in this room is one that matters to you. You've designed it. You love it. And God, I'm just asking right now that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say to each one of us. And then I, I think even more importantly, I, I pray that you might actually give us hearts to receive it. Um, no matter how hard the truth might hit us or the pain it might rise up within us or the frustration it might cause, would you just come and strengthen us with your resolve to that commitment that we made to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love before God 
and with his help. We, we need your help right now, God. I need your help. I need your grace right now. And I, I just ask for it to be able to communicate clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. So God, this whole idea of marriage was his idea, right? You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 24. And right then he said, this is the reason that a man shall leave his father and mother and that he will cleave to his wife. At some point, you leave mom and dad, you cleave to your wife, and then he says, and the two will become one flesh. That's a big issue as we talk about this thing, the whole idea of unity and of oneness. And so when we look at this, you guys, we, we've been doing this series in Ephesians chapter 5, as I said, this high life. And the first thing that we looked at in the first verse, it says, so be imitators of God. If you want to have a high life, then the way you do that is you imitate God as dearly loved children, and you live a life of love. Okay? So we're talking about marriage. Be an imitator of God. Live a life of love. At just as Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us. A fragrant and sacrifice to God. And so, if you want to have the high life, again, the first thing you got to remember is Jesus Christ is the life of the party, okay? He is the life. He is the love. He alone, there is no human being who has the undying, unconditional, never quitting just the love of God. But Jesus Christ does, okay? So he's the life of the party. God is, and that's why we want to imitate him. And then we went on to this deal, and we said, and if you want to live the high life, then you got to take the high road, because God knows how he designed this life to work. And if you take the high road, you have a chance of actually experiencing the life that he has for you. And then last weekend he talked about, and if you want the high life, you got to live on the edge, right? And it said you got to be wise and you got to be um, intentional and you have to be filled with the Spirit. So where I'm going to start today is verse 21. And what verse 21 is in this chapter 5, it's a hinge verse. It's a verse that's taken you from one thing. So it's connected to that principle, but it's going to lead you into the next, all right? And here's where it is. What was happening, because when you, the Bible just, again, is just a letter. You guys, Paul had a continual thought that he was going through here. And when it hit him to tell us, hey, if you want to live the high life and live life on the edge, then he says, and what you got to do is you got to be filled with the Spirit of God. You got to be filled with Him. And he tells you how to do that. And then he gets to verse 21. And what's it say? And if you want to live life on the edge, then submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. Doesn't that sound awesome? Don't you sit there and go, yeah, life on the edge, being a nobody, you know, making myself low. And that's not really what it's talking about, you guys. So look at this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This word was actually a military word, and it meant to rank under. And so that's what this all means. You put yourself under one another. And here's the key thing, you guys, is what he's saying is before, and I got to get this out, okay, before we get to the whole marriage thing. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Everybody does. It's a universal principle because that's who Jesus Christ is. So if you're going to follow him, then what we need to do, all of us, in every relationship that we have, you have to be mutually submissive to one another. That's the key. Jesus said one time when his disciples were struggling about who's going to be the greatest, right? What did he say? Oh, you want to be great. Well, then you become the servant of everybody. Then you put yourself under. Then you put yourself in a role of submission. And you guys, it all starts here. 
please just get your, whole, get your whole wedding marriage thoughts out of your mind for a second. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ gave himself up. Isn't that amazing? You guys, you want to imitate God? Then what you do is you give yourself up. Come on, there's, this is where Christianity all of a sudden starts to look way different because our God looks different. He is a God who actually gives himself away. And so if we're going to imitate him, then we need to do that. And so this mutual submission, even here as, as, at K2, this is how we totally try to function as a church. Now, my role, my title is the lead pastor. But even like two, two months ago, Andy and Mike, and we were sitting around at one of our management team meetings, and they just said, hey, you, we know you're the lead pastor, but, but man, it just doesn't work that way. We, we do all this together. See, that's my role, but if I'm the lead pastor, and we'll get to this later, then part of my role is, is to submit to the everybody else around me. That's what it's like. This is what God is like. And now, the question is, now why in the world would you want to put somebody else over you? Why would you want to do that? You guys see, man, this so grates against our nature. I don't want to, wait, wait a second. Everything around us is working to be first string, <laughs> to get the promotion, to be higher and higher. Why would I want to submit myself to you, and why would you want to submit yourself to the people around you? What's the verse say? The motivation for living a life of submission is out of reverence for Christ out of reverence of Christ. Don't raise your hands here, but do you, do you revere Jesus Christ? Do you revere him? Do you see him? Do you have reverence for Christ? And I would say, most of you who are here, almost all of us would say, yes, I do. But have you ever thought about what it's like to actually revere somebody? Have you ever been in the presence of someone that you revere? Anybody? You ever, ever, anybody have somebody in your life, you just, man, you respect them with the utmost reverence, and you've actually been able to be in their presence? Do you know what that's like? See, I, I, I'm going to take us a little bit farther, and I know she's dead, but how many of you would say that you revered Mother Teresa? How many of you had a, had a sense where you revered who she was? Okay, not as many as I thought. I thought she was kind of cool. Um, but, but with Mother Teresa, there was this sense with the way that she lived her life that you revered her. But you know what's interesting? Is when you live in America and Mother Teresa's in India, how much effect did she have on the way that you live your life? Not a whole lot. I mean, but if you flew to Calcutta and you had a chance to actually be in the presence of Mother Teresa, would you live the way that you live now in her presence? And you know what hit me? I, just, I was thinking about this. I'm like, no. See, because when you revere somebody, the way that they live their life, it's almost like automatically you start to take on the way that they live. You don't have to choose to do that. It's almost like you can't help but do it. And, I'm, and again, I'm not talking about anybody. I'm talking about somebody that you revere, that you have reverence for. And so when we talk about Jesus Christ, hold, just hang with me here for a second. When we talk about Jesus Christ, almost all of us would say, yes, I have reverence for Christ. And yet, if Christ gave himself up and made himself a servant and always took the lowly position. In fact, in Philippians 2, it was his glory to empty himself. 
then why don't we do that? Why do we, when we hear the word submit, chills go down our back? I know all of you who actually, all you women who actually know the Bible are going, oh great, can't wait till the next verse. Because when we talk about submit, we hate the thought of putting ourselves under somebody. And I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. But you guys, before we ever get into this marriage thing and the different roles between a husband and a wife, the first thing we need to understand is this verse right here. The universal principle of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that you submit to one another. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you will never try to rank above somebody. You will always try to put yourself under somebody. That's what the Spirit of God does. All right? So now we ask the question, if I'm supposed to have this universal submission to everybody, to one another, all around us here in this place, then how does that get fleshed out with husbands and wives? Okay, you ready? Here we go. Starting with verse 22. Wives, if you're going to submit to one another out of reverence of Christ, how do you do it in your marriage? You submit to your husband as to the Lord. Aren't you excited? Oh, tell me more, Dave. This is great. Well, I'll tell you more. For the husband is the head of the wife. Huh? You guys, you liking this so far? This is great stuff. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also, and all of you who are married, and if you're a wife today, then you should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, here we go. Guys, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. See, now, again, we sit there and we go, this is, this is great because there's something in our nature, there's something in our culture even that absolutely hates this idea of submission. We just go, oh, your hair just goes on the back of your neck. You go, Ugh. And I have always thought, wait a second, gals. All you have to do is submit. I have to, like, freaking die. Okay? What are you complaining about? All right? My job is to give my life away completely, not just submit. Want to trade? You know, I, I mean, let's look at this. And then it goes to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands, come on, guys. It's a little spanking today. You ought to love your wives. And you ought to love them as you love your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds for it and he cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we're members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. All right, and we're just going to go right through this passage and dig this puppy up. Here we go. What hat needs to happen? Wives, if you're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and we all have to do this, and then you get married, how do you flesh out that principle in your home? Apparently, you're supposed to submit to your husbands. And the other word that's used is you're supposed to respect them. 
You need to respect them. Now, what is, in other words, what, what is supposed to be done in every relationship, what the Bible is saying, all you women, what's supposed to be done in every relationship, just do it at home. Okay? It's supposed to happen everywhere, but just make sure in the most important relationship that you do it at home. It's critical if you're going to have this thing work. And then he looks at the guys and he says, okay, guys, you're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How are you going to do that in your marriage? And he says, well, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to love your wife in the same way that Christ gave himself up. And, and, and Dr. John Stott, he's this incredible theologian, and he, he just said it. He nailed it for me. He said, what does it mean to submit? Ooh, don't you just, again, that word. What's it mean to submit? What it means to submit is to defer. You defer to somebody else. You actually give yourself over, in a way, to them. And then he said, well, really, well, what does it mean to love? Oh, well, if you love, then you give yourself up to somebody. And he just said the question, he goes, wow, there's really not that much difference, is there? And there really isn't, and yet there is. There is a uniqueness in these two things. We are equal. The person you're sitting next to, all of us are equal in Christ. But that doesn't mean that we don't have this uniqueness of the way God made us to be and the wiring and the roles that we're supposed to have. Now, here's what's interesting, you guys. Okay, wives submit, husbands love. You know what's interesting about submission and love? They are both character qualities of Christ. They are both character qualities of Christ. Now, what happened in our culture, and I think also if you go back to Genesis in chapter 3, you'll also to see when sin entered the world, it just messed up this most important of relationships, just screwed it all up, okay? And so ever since then, and especially in our culture today, the idea of being submissive is, is immediately, it sounds demeaning. This is demeaning. What do you mean, be under my husband? That's demeaning. And, and, and so let me just, Susan and I talked a lot about this. You got it. It's good to have a woman <laughs> talk this through with. And, and she actually brought it up. She says, well, wait a second. Does that mean it was demeaning for Christ to be submissive? Was Christ less of a person, even less of God, because he submitted to his father? And I think all of us would go, well, no. See, what Christ was doing is making himself one with the Father. That's what he was doing. And so when we look at Jesus Christ, in fact, in, 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 again, in Philippians 2, it talks about how this was his glory, that he emptied himself. It's the most unbelievable thing that Jesus, who was God, who was in the very nature of God, emptied himself and said, it doesn't need to be about me. And then what the Bible says is because he did that and was obedient unto death, that every knee is going to bow to him. That was his glory, that he was actually submissive. And yet for some of us, even when we hear submit to one another, make yourself less, become a servant, there's something inside of us that goes, no, that's, that's wrong. Okay, now try to grasp this. I think that the reason our nature so recoils against the idea of being submissive I think the reason that it sounds so wrong is because it is so divine. There is something deep at the core of the essence of God that us human beings don't have. And do you know what it is? We live for ourselves 
and God lives for others. And we hate it. We hate the very thought of it. And I just think what we need to do is flip this up. And Susie was so weird, I almost wondered, I actually asked her, would you come up and share this part, <laughs> you know, for the women so they don't throw things at me? And, um, <laughs> but uh, she just says, she goes, as she reflected on this, one of the things, I, when I asked her to do that, she goes, well, I don't know if I want to get up there because I don't know if they'll listen to what I would have to say. And then it hit me, it's like, wait a second, we're not, we're not communicating to you what we want to say. I'm trying to help us understand as human beings what God has said. And what he has said, and then Susie, as she said, she goes, man, as I reflect on that, all of a sudden I realize that women have a unique opportunity to experience the glory of Christ because of what the scriptures have asked them to do. The scriptures have asked you to be like Jesus. And Jesus was the most holy, righteous, strong, loving being that ever walked this planet. It's, it's amazing to me. And so we go through this, and then it says this. And the way you're supposed to submit is as to the Lord. And again, I think that means that you're supposed, because I'm not Susie's Lord. I don't even, ugh. You know, I mean, I wouldn't want to be her Lord and tell her what to do. No, I think what it means is submit as to the Lord. Again, is the reason you submit is because you have reverence for Christ. You're, as you're submitting to Christ, and he's loving you, and empowers you to do that. And then comes this crazy statement where it says, and when you submit, you're supposed to submit us to the Lord because the husband is the head of you. And you just go, wow, I don't like that. Well, what's that mean? You guys, here's what it means. Is the husband is supposed to take the lead. Well, how is he supposed to lead? See, because again, this is where Christ came in when his disciples said, man, I want to lead. And Jesus looked at me and said, well, take a look around. Look, look, look around. Everybody around you, the way that they lead is they lord it over the people. And then what did he say? Not so with you. Again, if you want to lead, then what do you become? The servant of all. Okay, guys, you ready for your turn? What's it mean to love your wife how do you submit in this way? You lead. You are the first among equals, but you are first to care. You are first to sacrifice. You are first to serve. And you are first to provide. You are the first to give your life away. That's how you lead. That's spiritual leadership. It's not being the boss. You don't have, it's not like, hey, I'm the head. Hey, I've got some rights. No, you don't. No, you have some responsibilities. And your responsibility is to give your life away. I love that first among equals. You guys remember watching the Titanic, right? You guys know what we all say. Women and children first, right? And then some guy goes, hey, excuse me. You know, I'm, and he takes and he saves his own life. You watch that and you just go, that's just wrong. That's sick and wrong. Because we are supposed to lead in what it means to love just as Christ loved the church. Now, what's this look like? Let me just walk you real quick through that passage. Husbands, love your wives. This is verse 25. Just as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Okay, guys? How do you live out this mutual submission? You live a life of sacrifice. You live a life of sacrifice. You're not the boss. You love. And then what Jesus said is he goes, he gave us the highest standard. Come on, husbands. The highest standard. Just as Christ died on the cross for the church. That's how you should be loving your wife. 
you make sacrifices for her. You don't live for yourself. That's what the human nature does. That's what screws up marriages is when we live for ourselves. But when you sacrifice yourself for your spouse, for your wife, it loves her. Secondly, he goes on to say this. Well, let me tell you, so the first way you love your wife is sacrificially. The second way is you be considerate. In 1 Peter 3, again, it talks about wives. You're supposed to be submissive. And then it says in in verse 7, and in the same way, husbands, be considerate. Consider your wives. Think about them instead of yourself. And think about what's best for them. And so in this verse, in verse 26, Jesus loved us to make, her, to make the church holy, to cleanse her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See, what Jesus was doing is he was saying, this is what people need. This is what the church needs, and so I'm going to give it to them. And husbands, every time you sit down and you start making a decision about what you're going to do with your time, what you're going to do with your resources, what you're going to do with your energy, you need to consider your wives and what's best for them. That's what it means to love them. And then the last thing is he goes on to say, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And to provide... And to care. Come on, women, what would happen if your husband woke up every single morning and said, you know what? This is what it means for me. I am going to think of you first. In fact, I I, I forgot my principle. This is the one statement that guys need to have. What does it mean to love your wives? It means you say, you are of first importance. Can you imagine? Can you imagine waking up and having your husband Look at you, and you knew without a shadow of a doubt that all he was thinking about that day was you and how he could sacrifice for you, how he could consider what was best for you, how he could care for you, how he could give his life away, give himself up for you. Can you imagine what that would be like? And instead of guys, man, we are struggling to make our wives first. Because, And I don't mean to ruffle things, but let's just be honest here because I know some of you are sitting there going, dude, I have never felt first. I mean, work comes first, there's no question. Followed by the golf course. Followed by the weekend with the buddies. And then, you know, finally at the end of the day when it's late, it's my turn. And some of you feel that way. And I'm telling you guys, if that's how you love your wife, you are not loving your wife like Christ loves the church. Because Christ looks at us and he gives himself up for us. Now, what would happen if we could do that? Because now we get to, this, to the women, and we look at this, and what's it like for the wife to submit and to respect? And I think what that means is, women, what you need to do is you need to be able to look at your husband and say, I see you with highest regard. You know what it means to respect? It means you admire with deference. There's an admiration, so much so that you kind of defer to them. That's what it means to submit and to respect. And you know what's funny? This guy, there's a great book called Love and Respect. Oh, man, write this puppy down. Love and Respect, if you need a book on marriage. Great book. And one of the things he said is, do you know why, the, uh, talking to all you women, do you know why your husband probably uh, proposed to you eventually? See, most women don't really have a problem loving. Now, some do, but let's talk in generalities. Most don't. And so what they think 
is that it's the love that I give that actually really encourages you. But you know what they find? Is that most men actually finally went for it when they finally felt admired and respected. In fact, there's a study that came out and it said this. They asked men, which would you rather experience? To be left alone and unloved in the world or to feel inadequate and disrespected by everyone? Guys, think about that. What would you rather have? Would you rather be unloved and left alone in the world? Or would you rather be disrespected and, and, ad, and considered inadequate by everybody? You know, what the, you know what the response said? 74% of men said they'd rather be unloved than disrespected. Women, you've got to listen to this. The Bible knows what it's talking about. Verse 33 says, Husbands, you must love your wives because women need to be loved. Women, you must respect your husbands because husbands need to be respected. These studies weren't Christian studies. These studies were just in people in general. It's the way that we are. You know what it looks like to respect your husband? It means to honor him. It means to lift him up. It means to say, man, with your work and what you achieve and the way you provide and protect for your vision that you have and for the leadership that you have and for the insights that you can bring me. And I know some of you are going, yeah, but um, my guy doesn't do any of that. So, you know, and, and I mean, seriously, you're sitting there, how do I respect what he doesn't do? You know? Well, you know what it's like? But again, what a man needs, when Tiger Wood hits the ball, right? And he gets ready, and as soon as it makes contact, what do all the guys say? You're the man! Right? You know what that means? That's what it's like, gals. What you need to do for your man is you need to say, you're the man! You have what it takes. Can you imagine Tiger Woods hitting the ball and going, boom, we love you, Tiger. You know, I mean, it would, be, it would just be wrong. It just wouldn't happen. Because a guy needs to be respected. He also needs to be loved, obviously. But he needs to be respected. And you know what happens? Instead of hearing, you're the man. You know what guys hear a lot? Be the man. <laughs> would you? Just once? I would love this if you could just be the man one time. And I want to tell you guys, here's what you got to be careful about. In this book, they do this great job of calling what they call the crazy cycle. There's a crazy cycle. And it's perfect. You know what it is? It's this. Without love, a woman will react without respect. And when she acts without respect, the woman, the man, reacts by not loving does that make sense? See, because what happens here, all of a sudden, if you're not feeling loved and you look at your man and you criticize him, because that's what it is. It's like, man, I am not getting what I want. I need to let him know. And so you pour it on because you know what? Because then he'll give it to you. Does that ever work? I mean, hello? I mean, it's this part because in, in this, I need to tell you, guy, please understand this about men. Because part of the deal of a man is, man, we got to prove that we have what it takes. Now, there's a few studs out here in this congregation, but most of you are like me, and that is you know that almost your whole life, you never had anybody tell you you have what it takes. Your whole life, you have felt like you've got to somehow perform to get some sort of validation for who you are. That's how most men work. Women, can you please understand? When you come in and you demean your husband and you don't respect him, do you know, I don't care how big and burly and tough your guy is, you know what's happening inside of him? What's he do? I, bear, I guarantee you, 90% of the time, you know what he does? 
he shuts down. Don't raise your hand, please, because you get in trouble. Have you not experienced your man shutting down? I'm telling you, it is the weirdest thing. Susan and I talked about it. I don't have time to get in the illustration. But when this has happened in my life, it's unbelievable to me how instead of going, oh, yeah, I don't. I go, mm. And then what happens, gals, what happens when your guy gets quiet and withdraws? Do you feel loved? No. So you know what you do? <laughs> Because I'm going to get you to respond the way I need you to respond. And you know what the guy does? All right. Then I'll just be my manly person. Shut up. And I pull back because I think if I pull back, you'll love me and you'll come towards me. And you come. <laughs> so I pull back a little bit more. And you know what? It's perfect. Without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he, cre he reacts without love. You don't get the love you need, so you don't give the respect. He doesn't get the respect, so he doesn't give you the love. Can you guys see this? Isn't marriage great? I mean, this is the vicious cycle that we find ourselves in. Now listen to this cycle. Your love, men, motivates her respect. And women, your respect motivates his love. You love her. She feels loved. All of a sudden, she respects. You feel respected. You love. She's loved. She respects. And now all of a sudden, whoa, 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 whoa. Marriage can be good. It can be great. It can work. Now, here's the key, you guys, is both of these things need to be unconditional. Now, this book explains this in depth, but let me, let me just touch on this. This is so key. Lots of times, women will say this. I love you, but I don't respect you. Now, can you imagine your husband coming to you and saying, I respect you, but I don't love you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, that's not fair. See, because what's happened is, Somehow, we felt, even from the scripture, that love is the unconditional thing. And guys, that's our job, so you got to do the unconditional thing. Respect is based on what you do for me. Now, come on. Really, how do you give respect to somebody who doesn't deserve any? How do you do that? Out of reverence for Christ. See, here's the problem. If we're going to say, I'll love you if you respect me. It's never going to work because then all of a sudden, and if the women come back and say, well, I'll respect you if you love me. You guys, now we've thrown our conditions in. We're no different than this couple who stood right there, who's making all these mandates about how it's going to be. So here's the deal, you guys. It has to be unconditional. We need to get to the point where we say, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be in submission to you out of reverence for Christ. So I will love you whether you deserve it or not. And women, you need to be able to say, I will respect you whether you deserve it or not, out of reverence for Christ. Now, here's the big question. Who goes first? <laughs> Who's going to do it first? Who's going to get the wheel started? Because right now you're in this vicious cycle, and it's not working, and you're going to go home today, and one of you has got to start it. And you're going to go home, and here's the deal. It's a whole lot easier to see what you're not getting than what you're not giving. You guys know that, right? It's a whole lot easier to say, come on, 
Just give me, just give me something, and I'll give you something. But when you go home today, somebody's got to take the first step and get this ball spinning in the right manner. Now, what Edgar says is he says it'll be the more mature one. It'll be the person who has a little bit more maturity. I would say this. I think who makes the first move? It's the person who will go home today and decide to be reverent to Christ. I'm telling you, when I do marriage counseling, premarital, marriage, whatever, it eventually gets to this point. Do you guys understand? Did you know that ultimately your marriage isn't even about you? It's not about you. Marriage works when people put Jesus Christ at the center of their life. And even if their spouse doesn't deserve it, they give it. How are we supposed to live a life and imitate, live a life of love and imitate God? How are we supposed to do that? Just as Christ gave himself up. Can, stop with me for a second. Can you imagine if Jesus would have sat there and said, hey, if you guys show me something, I'll love you. Come on. Come on. I got to get a little bit more, a little more, a little more, and then I'll finally give my life away for you. Can you imagine? He would have never done it. He would have never gave himself up if he would have waited for us to be good enough to get it. And so if we're ever going, to, and so out of reverence for Christ, because Christ loved you when you didn't love him, because he gave himself up for you when you could care less about him, then when your husband or your wife isn't meeting the standard, you instead, guys, you still come up and you say, you're still of first importance for me. And God, gals, you come back and you say, and I still will see you with highest regard. I will choose to do that. And I'm telling you, if you go home right now and not do it because your spouse deserves it, but go home and actually love or respect and submit because Jesus Christ has asked you to. Because again, if your spouse gives you a little bit, you know what will probably happen? Oh, you might respond. Our problem is we feel like if we give a little bit, they're not going to do that. Edward said one of the greatest things. He said, you know what, you guys, we don't have a marriage crisis. We have a crisis of faith. We don't have a marriage crisis. We have a crisis of faith because we're still human and we still live for ourselves. And we still have yet to believe that when he said, be filled with the Spirit of God, that when you get filled with the Spirit of God, that Spirit always puts yourself under. Because that's what he does. So here's the deal. To close today, you guys, we started off this thing with this really screwy, you know, vows and goofiness. By the way, don't tell anybody in the third service that we're having a wedding, okay? Just kind of keep that to yourself. So we start off by something that was really wacky and really wrong. And what we want to do today is to give you a chance to actually um, repeat some vows with us. If you're married today and you're here with your spouse, then we want to give you a chance to look into their eyes and to remember whether it was 50, 20 years ago, last week, to look at them again and say, you know what? I made a vow. And I did it in the presence of God. And I'm going to commit this back to you, that I will love you. And I will respect you out of reverence for Christ. 
We did this back at Kensington, and actually the first service, it was very, very cool to give everybody a chance just to look in the eyes of the one that you say that you love and to commit to him one more time to do that. But before we do that, Mike is going to come up, um, and he's going to sing a song because we want to give you just a few minutes to be able to kind of just sit with this, um, to think, what does it mean? What happened on that day when you stood before God and those witnesses and you made that vow? And can you, make the, can you renew your vow today to be reverent to Christ? And out of that reverence, to love your wife. Out of that reverence, to submit and respect your husband. To lift him up. To put her as first importance. And I guarantee you, if you can do that, you can walk out of this place and you can change that wheel. And you can actually get it going in the other direction. So as Mike sings this, you might just want to grab the hand, put your arm around the person who's next to you. If you're married here today, and just sit and enjoy this moment, contemplate what it's going to be like to say some vows back to them again here in just a couple minutes, and then we'll do it together. Let's listen to this song.